0: And peace of Christ be with you. Also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here with us. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, there should be a black folder. It's our friendship pad, and we'd love to have you sign it and let us know you're here with us today, whether you're a regular or whether you're visiting with us, especially for today. Inside of the bulletin is our announcement sheet for the week. You'll see that this Thursday we are participating in the city's Art Walk. That means that some of our artists will have their work displayed out in the Rose Garden during the Art Walk time on on Thursday starting at 6 p.m. Also, you'll see that our Gals group, our Widows of All Ages, are gathering next week. If that applies to you, you are very welcome to be part of that group, but you do need to call ahead and let them know that you're coming, and you can see the information about that. The end of july we are having an awe at home hospitality hour it's an evening that's a way for us to meet one another and to be able to just hang out together and chat we'll be signing up for that next week and you can see the details here also you can be part of summer choir if you come at eight o'clock on sunday morning and practice there's no midweek practice just come on sunday and practice with them. And look how many different people are with us this this week that are not usually with us. So you can be part of that too. You can make it impossible for them all to fit in the choir loft. Wouldn't that be terrible? (laughs) Wouldn't that be terrible? Um, Our Vacation Bible School, which begins a week from tomorrow, is full. However, we do have opportunities for you to volunteer or to donate some things, and that information is in a wonderful cave-like display outside on the patio that you'll see. After the service, all of our summer programs for children and youth are full, except middle school camp. So they're all taking waiting lists other than that. And we welcome Manuel Salinas. Thank you for playing for us this morning. It was wonderful to have you playing with us.
1: Lord God, on this Independence uh, weekend, we lift up our hearts in praise to you that we can come to this house of God and worship you in freedom to sing your praises, and to proclaim your word, to give prophetic critique, to listen so that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to each one of us this morning, strengthen us to be faithful citizens, and not just of our nation, but members of your church under the reign and rule of Almighty God, we lift our hearts to you and thanksgiving amen
0: join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find in your bulletin oh come let us sing to the Lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation let us come into his presence with thanksgiving let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise oh come let us worship and bow down Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us praise God and listen to God's word. Let us stand together.
2: Church, now is the time to worship. So we sing together, come.
1: Come,
2: now is the time to worship. Church, come, now is the time to give. You are before your God. Oh. One day, church, one day. So oh.
0: Prophet Ezekiel said to the leaders, to the shepherds of Israel, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them because there was no shepherd.
2: servant for this day.
0: God of everlasting love, we confess that we have been unfaithful to our covenant with you and with one another. We have worshiped other gods, money, power, greed, and convenience. We have served our own self-interest instead of serving only you and your people. We have not loved our neighbor as you commanded nor have we rightly loved ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God. Bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and one another through Christ our Lord. And so hear us as in silence. We bring to you the silent confessions of our hearts. Amen. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand and sing together.
1: Three different texts we read from this morning as we approach 1 Peter 5, two from the Gospel of John, John chapter 10 and uh, John chapter 21. But chapter 10 is one of those great I am sayings of this Gospel, reminding us of how the Lord God identified himself to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am, and so Jesus taught his disciples, John chapter 10, verse 15, or verse 11, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hen runs away because a hired hen does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And from the last chapter of the Gospel of John, post-resurrection, the disciples, including Peter, are back in Galilee fishing on the lake despondent and perhaps having had their dreams and their hopes shattered it's early in the morning verse 15 when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you Jesus said to him And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Later in his life, Peter wrote to the church, First Peter chapter five. He wrote these instructions for the shepherds of the church that he addressed. Now as an elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising the oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain but eagerly. Do not lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. God opposes the proud But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you in due time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Good Shepherd, We pray that the power of your Holy Spirit may bring illumination to your word this morning. Write its truths upon our hearts. Grow a deep love within all of our hearts for you and for one another and for this world in which we live. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. These texts that I have read are about leadership. And there is no more relevant subject in our time than this subject of leadership and what it means to be a leader, either in the nation or the church or in the larger world. I listened to an interview with David Gergen, who is one of my favorite political commentators on the faculty at the uh, school in uh, at Harvard. He teaches about leadership. And the interviewer was asking him this question, what does it take to be a great president of the United States? And Gergen responded, of course to be great, the context has to be great. The nation must must face a tremendous crisis and, and a demand for leadership that is well beyond the capabilities of normal people. Context. And then he turned to those personal characteristics of leadership that are so necessary and oftentimes so lacking in our time. Character. Personal integrity. Integrity. Judgment, vision, all these things are needed in our time in which we find ourselves in the Western world, not only in America, but also in a crisis of leadership. How tragic it is. But our political leaders, our economic leaders, our religious leaders have in many ways betrayed their trust. We find the nation at this time to be deeply polarized. James Campbell, who was a political scientist on the East Coast, wrote a book entitled Polarized. Who's to blame for the division within America? And he answers his own question. He wrote an op-ed section about it this last week in the L.A. Times. The answer, who's to blame? He said, we are. It's so very easy to blame the politicians and the leaders in one field after another. But there is something that is aching away in the heart of every citizen in the land. We find ourselves arguing and dividing around all kinds of issues. From abortion to marriage equality to minorities and immigration. And the economy and the distribution of wealth, it goes on and on. And we polarize into our separate camps. And the truth is, the middle has collapsed. And the extremes turn inward toward anyone in the middle and seeks to devour them. So we become an alienated people who have deep need for reconciliation for unity, and for peace in the Spirit. And pray to God that the church might be a model of this in our own time. It could be one of the great gifts that we have to give to the nation and to our world. And yet, when we look at the church, we, we simply reflect the culture. All the mainline denominations are fragmented and losing in members. And we find ourselves debating and dividing about the very same issues that divide the body politic. And no one trusts anyone. We look at church, we look at nation, we consider the vote in the UK this last week. Whether to leave the UK or EU or to remain in. No one perhaps thought the vote would go the way that it did, and yet there are many discontented people in the U.K., and the nation is polarized. David Cameron, the prime minister, resigned, not wanting to try to lead the U.K. into a new definition of itself. Boris Johnson, the former flamboyant mayor of London, who everyone thought was going to be the next prime minister and the leader of the nation, an advocate of Brexit, turned down the opportunity, and the question emerges, who will be the leader? And what will they have to say? And the same sort of polarization is reflected in the presidential campaign in this country it is a time of great need we find ourselves in a crisis of leadership it may well be that the that the world has always been in that situation and that is why the words of the apostle peter may be the very words that the church and nation needs to hear in this particular time. Peter had learned much about leadership from Jesus. That passage in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, is a statement that reflects the chaos of ancient Israel whose priests and prophets and kings had betrayed their leadership responsibilities. They had looked after themselves. They had fleeced the flock. They had dirtied the waters. They had not fed the sheep. And God came through the prophet Ezekiel and raised the question, Why have you not been faithful shepherds and leaders of my people? I am going to shepherd my own sheep. And my judgment will fall upon the nation, but I will care for my people. And in fulfillment of that promise, we have our Lord Jesus saying in the spirit of Ezekiel, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. You met a politician and knows your name? Good shepherd has a responsibility to lead his flock out of the sheepfold daily. He leads them out into grass and clean water. And while they eat, he oversees them. He watches them. And if a predator comes, a wolf, the good shepherd is willing to do battle and if necessary to lay down his life for the sheep in a self-sacrificing way. From the biblical perspective, this is at the heart of what good leadership is about. It is a leadership that is filled with the love of God and the love of the flock. The hired man does not own the sheep. He doesn't care for the sheep, really. He's doing a job. And when his own life is threatened, he cuts and runs. Not so with Jesus, the good shepherd. He engages. Peter heard these words, and he understood by this time that he was being called to follow the example of Jesus, and yet as Jesus' end came in the Garden of Gethsemane, that night when Jesus was arrested, Peter denied three times that he ever knew Jesus, and he went out and wept bitterly because of his failure. We have to look upon Peter with compassion and love the man. His heart was broken. The disciples returned to Galilee. And there they were fishing again all night long. They caught nothing. A stranger ac- appeared on the coastline of the lake and asked, have you caught anything? Not a thing. Well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll catch in abundance. And John looked up and said to Peter, it's the Lord. And suddenly the naked Peter put back his clothes, put his clothes on, jumped into the water and swam inside to the lake, to the shore. And there he discovered that Jesus had cooked the morning meal the bread was baking, the fish were frying and after they had eaten together with the resurrected Lord, Jesus asked Peter three times Simon do you love me more than these? Yes Lord you know that I love you Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. And then the third time, and it broke Peter's heart, and he understood in that moment what was happening. This was a threefold reaffirmation of Peter, the restoration of leadership. Simon, do you really love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Pend my sheep. Those words of Jesus were transformative in Peter's life, and he emerged as the head of the church, not the perfect shepherd. Who never sinned again or who, who never failed again, but he emerged as a man who knew at rock bottom that he wanted to follow Jesus and love the church upon which Jesus had promised to build his church that would prevail against the winds of time. And so Peter shortly before he dies and is killed in Nero's persecutions in Rome. He wrote this letter to the churches out in central Turkey. He wrote this letter. He says, I exhort you, those of you who are elders, this is a really an interesting word, Presbyteros, the elders, the same word that we translate as presbyterians. I'm writing to all the good Presbyterians, what Peter was saying. All of you elders, all of you recognized leaders within the church. I'm calling you to tend the flock of God. The very words that Jesus had used with him at the lake in Galilee. Tend the flock. Feed the sheep. And what Peter was saying was something very profound. There were three or four or five points even about leadership in this passage in First Peter that the church and the leaders of the world need to hear anew as they exercise their authority and power for the sake and the well-being of the whole flock. Why tend the flock? First and foremost, because it is God's flock. That may seem to be so simple. And yet Peter's not saying, it's my flock or it's your flock, that you own the church. He is saying that this is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the flock of God for whom Christ died to reconcile us to God and to one another. Therefore, accept the stewardship responsibility that I am charging you with to tend the flock of God. And that makes all the difference. We are continually reminded in our leadership in the world that we do not own the world, but God created the world, and God owns it and has placed us in this garden to tend it and to care for the sheep, not to destroy it. By the time we get to Genesis 3, we know what humanity has done with the garden. Spoiled its waters, ripped off its natural resources, oppressed the poor, a world filled with violence. We've betrayed our stewardship responsibility. We've been self-centered and we desperately need to repent and to turn to God for the healing of the land. Tend the flock of God. Not out of compulsion, but willingly, as the Lord would have you do it, willingly. When you think of a will to do something. That means a determination, and it may draw forth all the strength and power that is within your heart to do it. You may not want to do it, but you know it is God's will for you to do it. And you're not charged with leadership simply because you're being driven to it by a command of God, but you're doing so something because you love the object of your commitment. You love the flock of God. And you're willing to serve. And that may not be easy. The flock may be filled with all kinds of difficulties. Predators may come from the outside. You may have to do battle. You may have to risk your own life. Predators may emerge within the flock itself and decide they're going to lead a part of the flock out into another denomination. One of my pastor friends bought a book and gave it to another pastor friend because he was having difficulties with members of his flock the book was entitled The Sheep Bite <laughs> And one does not have to be in the ministry for very long I've watched the goats in our hills and the very sophisticated working of those shepherds with the goats But those goats are in competition with each other. Those rams back off with their horns and they simply butt another goat out of the way in order to take their territory. And oftentimes that's the way the body politic in the world is. And it takes all the determination of our wills that are inspired by the Spirit of God to love the unlovely. In those moments we remember that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for the ungodly. Exercise your leadership not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Not to enrich yourself, or to achieve, to achieve success, or esteem, or our honor but eagerly out of devotion to God. One of the very real temptations that every preacher has is to get a larger salary and to move to a tall steeple church where you can be paid more money. And we find ourselves driven by the same dynamic that drives the world, upward mobility. And so it is in in all of our society. The people, the sheep, are competing to get ahead, which in itself is a source of great creativity and accomplishment in our country. And we're grateful for all the gifts that have been brought to that. Not long ago, CNN online Hosted a chart about the 15 most wealthy preachers in the country. I was just thankful my name was not on the list. <laughs> most of our churches work really hard to keep the preacher poor. But when you looked at some of these names, these were leaders in our country that we know very well. They're recognized leaders. And they have amassed wealth beyond comprehension. And I'm not saying they fleece their flocks to get it. But it at least is a question. Not for sordid gain. But eagerly. Whether or not you get wealthy or not, don't abuse your power. Every year or so in our presbytery, all the pastors are required to do training in sexual misconduct. And we need it. It's not really about sex or money, it's about the abuse of power. And we've seen it all over our culture, in the church, in the body politic. If we're not running off with some woman or man, or, we're stealing. But above everything else, Peter says, have the mindset of humility. You do not know everything. You do not have all the right answers. You are not the Messiah for which the church has been waiting. Nor is your church the perfect church. And you will not survive and prosper as the flock of God unless you all clothe yourselves in humility and model what Jesus modeled. For the disciples, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a slave. In human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. What an example! Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8. And then in Peter, clothe yourself with humility because it is the great virtue that can glue a society and a people together as they live together as forgiven sinners who are learning to love one another. Now, learning to use authority and power is one of the primary things we need to learn and it starts when we are kids. I was touched so much by Peter Marty's editorial in the Christian Century magazine. He's the new publisher of that very prestigious magazine. He's a Lutheran pastor in uh, Davenport, uh, uh, Iowa. A leader in his church and has just recently been appointed to be the, the publisher of the Christian Century. And he was writing about the secret of authority and he shared about his experience in elementary school, of being appointed to being uh, one of the patrol guards for the, for the school crossing. In our elementary school, I'll never forget, we shared it around with ourselves, and we got a special belt that we wore with uh, reflectors on it, and we stood out there, we had a badge and a hat, and we were charged together with an adult who supervised us with making sure that our students got safely across the street. Peter says it absolutely puffed him up beyond measure. And he began to seek to assert his authority. And all of his classmates, not many of his classmates, really appreciated his antics. But it's just an example of how we oftentimes do not know what to do with authority and power. And I want to read you, because he he writes so beautifully, I want to read you a portion of what he said. He said, most of us encounter this relationship between power and authority early in life. Even if it takes some time before we recognize all the dynamics at play, fourth graders safety patrol was my first flirtation with raw power most of us selected for patrol duty developed bigger heads than we deserved in part because the responsibility of protecting little children induced some awe in us we believed that we were the only saving reality between a child and a fast-moving car With outstretched arms in an orange reflective belt buckled to our bodies, others might have confused any of us with a glow-in-the-dark Jesus minus the cross. I enjoyed the added benefit of knowing how to whistle through my teeth. With a quick, shrill burst, I was able to command a dump trunk to halt or stop a couple of seven-year-olds tussling at the curb. Although I relished this whiff of power, I had no authority whatsoever. It took years of observing others before I learned that I had confused the authority of power with the power of authority. Like Richard Nixon after Watergate, who still had the full power of the presidency at his disposal, but zero authority. I couldn't find a single kid who loved the commanding manner of my safety patrol antics. I had yet to grasp the magnificence of another president, Abraham Lincoln, who possessed great authority, but who was often reticent to exercise the full powers of his office. Social theorist Max Weber describes power as having a coercive element and authority as having a non-coercive one. You can do what I ask of you because you have to do what I have the power to make you do. Or you can do what I ask of you because you want to do it out of respect for who I am to you. The difference between the two motives is huge. I have noticed among people I admire that those who sacrifice the most in the way of love also end up with the greatest authority. In the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly exercises his own special power of authority through love with no political clout, No military at his command, no particular social prestige, and no wealth to his name. He reserves the authority of power for special occasions. We do not see him positioning himself to make others do what he commands. Instead, other people have to want the life he proposes. Jesus removes an unclean spirit from a convulsing man inside a synagogue. His exercising power is on full display. But that act of power prompts the gathered worshipers to be astonished by his authority. What is this? A new teaching with authority? What they saw in Jesus was more than raw power. They witnessed the power of love and in that love is the secret of the Lord's authority. This is what Peter is talking about. and It is the power of love for the body of Christ for which Christ died. It is the power of the Spirit that grows the love of God within us. It is the power of heaven to transform the earth to bring hope and reconciliation and justice and peace to the people of God and to the people of the nations. It is that for which the world longs to see, the authority and power of love. Pray with me. Lord, We need you. We are powerless without you. We have no gifts that are adequate to lead or to follow. We are simply dependent upon the gracious work of your kingdom in our hearts. Help us to hear this call to discipleship over and over again. And bless your church as we seek to shepherd our community. As we seek to be a light in this city. A people who are known by the power of their love. We pray in your name. Amen. Please stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith. These are the words of St. Francis of Assisi who wrote this prayer as a, as a statement of the meaning of his own life and his call to the ministry together. Lord, to make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Divine Master, Master, grant grant that I may may not not seek so much much to be be consoled as to console, to be 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 understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
2: We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know, Christians by a Will we walk with each other? Will we walk hand in hand? Will we walk with each other? Will we walk hand in hand so together? just i by-
0: Gracious God, on this 4th of July weekend we give you thanks for this land in which we live and for the liberty that we enjoy. Though this world depends upon your grace, it is governed and tended by mortals. And so we pray for those who walk the corridors of power in this and other lands whose judgments we value or fear. May they make decisions with courage and integrity and resist any, te- any temptation to abuse the power entrusted to them. Pray for the UK as they choose a new prime minister and for our country in this year of elections. We bring to you the peoples of this world, so polarized into camps by fear and hostility. For those who live in hunger, in fear, in oppression, For those who are held hostage. We pray for all who grieve the International Justice Mission staff who were killed this week in Kenya, for all who grieve the loss of life in Baghdad, in Bangladesh, in Istanbul. And we ask for peace in Syria. We bring to you also those whose bodies fight disease and pain, those whose minds are anxious, those whose failures overwhelm, those whose loneliness and grief move them beyond tears and those who watch and wait with them this day. Hear the names of these for whom we pray as we speak them aloud before you. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and reconciliation of all people. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
2: So
1: the one triune God who has invited us into the unity of the fellowship of love which is at the very heart of the being of God. We are one flock and there is one shepherd and in life and death we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Go forth in peace to follow the Good Shepherd. Amen.